Daniel definitely deserves it. He's he's a top player. Um, I mean, I think any time there's a new world number one, it's obviously it's a it's a big story. There hasn't been that many different number ones in the last 15, 20 years. So, you know, we've well, I guess everyone's been sort of waiting for the the, the younger generation to start winning more of the the major events and you know occupy the, the top spots in the ranking and you know I think you know Daniel over the last couple of years he certainly deserves that that position he's been extremely consistent um, you know played very well in, in most of the the majors well these moments are the moments that you're working for your entire life and it's uh, it, it can be for sure in a very intense week uh, I can completely understand that without being in that position um, I think his game is very big. Uh, he has done some incredible things in the sport so far. Novak is I don't, 20, 34, 35 this year. Uh, I am 36. Uh, Roger is uh, 40, so uh, the watch never stops. <laughs> so <laughs> we, that's the circle of life, and it's normal that the the, the young uh, generation is coming and gonna 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 go higher on the ranking than us, no? Because we can't afford. Uh, a hundred percent full calendar and because they are very good the voice of Rafael Nadal and before him Stefanos Tsitsipas and Andy Murray more from Murray to come also from Nadal Novak Djokovic and another former world number one Jim Courier all of which is extremely relevant in a week when we have a new man at number one Daniel Medvedev joining countrymen Yevgeny Kafelnikov and Marat Safin to become only the third Russian man to reach the pinnacle and the 27th man in total since the ATP rankings began back in 1973. He's also the first to break the vice-like grip held on the position by Messrs Djokovic, Federer, Nadal and Murray since way back in February 2004. To be the first one to break some of these milestones, if we can say like this, uh, is again, is a positive, uh, positive thing, uh, if we can say for the portfolio. So I just want to continue playing good tennis. You mentioned earlier that you've kind of changed your perspective a little bit after what you spoke about in that press conference. How did you do that and what exactly is this new perspective? Just, uh, you know, of course, when you talk about something like this, you get a lot of feedback from either your friends, your family, or some fans around the world. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, which uh, is completely normal, uh, especially the more famous you become. And, you know, listening to, to all this, I just, uh, you know, made some conclusions for myself, uh, about myself and about, I want to say, life in general. And I think uh, good ones that... Uh, matured me uh, as a person and yeah I think uh, again I'm gonna try to change uh, some things more I'm talking more of course on the tennis court mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, yeah it's only I feel like a lot of experience you get even the bad ones uh, can can be good afterwards and that's what I feel like you know it's uh, feeling completely fresh uh, and just uh, yeah as I say made some good conclusions uh, to be as I think a better player and in that regard it feels like authenticity the idea of being honest with yourself is really crucial for you is that accurate uh, it is but again uh, I think there needs uh, that's what I understood there sometimes needs to be some limit where you should not exceed this saying doing some things sometimes and saying yeah but well at least uh, I'm true to yourself you know sometimes you need to 
to have limits also and maybe control yourself. And that's one of the conclusions uh, I made. But uh, yeah, that's uh, what I like about people when you feel that uh, they're talking to your face and uh, say not what they think. That's what I don't like and that's what nobody will like. Daniel Medvedev speaking there with Mike Cation after taking another major step in the right direction. So what of the man he's replaced and who's held the position for 361 weeks? He deserved it more than anybody else, really. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not that uh, much of a shock to me because I haven't been you know, playing that many tournaments, haven't been playing the full schedule. And obviously this year, I don't know which, which tournaments I'll be able to perform on. So, you know, uh, I, I'll be the first one to congratulate him to, uh, for him clinching the number one. Uh, he deserved it more than anybody else. Yeah, you seem to be building a rapport between one another. I've seen some quotes about how you appreciate his personality and his game. Absolutely. I mean, I already have tremendous respect for him. Of course, and everything he has achieved and who he is. And as I mentioned before, you know, I love his authenticity. It's very, very independent, very original. You know, he's always, he always sticks to his, to his words and, uh, and, and he's always being himself, and which I, I really respect a lot. And a lot of question marks of whether he plays an orthodox or non-orthodox game, whether his game is boring or not. You know, a lot of people speak a lot of things and there's a lot of always opinions going around, but he's always delivering, you know, his results are there. And, Without a doubt, he deserves the top spot of the world. Novak Djokovic with Lee Goodall. One man who remembers what it's like chasing down the world number one and jostling for the position is American Jim Courier. He spoke with our colleagues at ATP Uncovered before events in Acapulco and Dubai got underway. As a five-year-old, Courier started out throwing caution to the winds by hitting the ball just about as hard as he could, and that's still the way it is with him. Power aplenty. Okay, good. Let's go. Fire in the hole. This man has just been too tough. Three, two. You're on. He is playing some ball. I had a really good year in 1991, and I, I got into the top 10, one of my first major. I wasn't that close to number one when I finished the season, but then I won the Australian Open, and that really propelled me right into the mix, and I knew that I could get there if I had a good week in San Francisco, which was my first tournament after winning the Australian Open. We're waiting for this. The hotter it gets, the hotter Jim Courier gets. But he's in pretty good form, and we can look forward to another exciting year of tennis from this man. So it all kind of happened in a hurry. It wasn't like a long chase where I had months and months to think about it and I was close. It all sort of just happened in a flash in, in January of, of 92, and I went for it from there. And there it is. He's done it. Carter into the finals. He's the number one player in the world. Do you recall that, that moment is an iconic celebration in San Francisco? I do. No, I definitely do. And I remember feeling incredible amounts of stress in each match to try and get there because you look at the rankings and you realize, well, this is a real shot. If I get to the finals, I'm going to get to number one. But there's also a chance that I never get there because it wasn't clear what, what Stefan and what Boris were going to do. You know, Boris had the upper hand in those uh, six earlier matches, although I, I played some close tennis against him. But, you know, he's, he's very tough upstairs as well as here on the court. So, uh, you know, uh, it's a mental match against Boris as, as much as a physical, so I'm, I'm real happy to, to pull one out here. They could have run away from me and I could have never touched it. So uh, I was feeling a lot of pressure to get there. And then, 
you know, a lot of relief and excitement when I finally did. And the man on top of the mountain is Jim Courier. Just like to congratulate Jim on once again having a great tournament. Uh, we as tennis players know why he's ranked number one in the world and he deserves to be there. Well done, Jim. Jim Courier, who has always congratulated the people that have helped him get to where he is. And where he is is number one, and after today he will stay there. There's no doubt that a number one player carries a huge target. That's a big scalp for any player in the locker room to try and, and get a win against. Uh, it's, it's a badge of honor also, and it's something that gives a lot of confidence when you carry it. And the points, of course, are all part of the ATP computer. Novak has carried unbelievably more weeks at number one than anyone else. He, he likes being on top of the mountain, and I don't see him giving that one up easily. And Novak Djokovic will be the year-end number one and yet more history for the Super Serve. Medvedev has proven himself to be right there as far as the best hardcore players in the world. He and Novak clearly separated themselves last year, and that was a lot of work for him to get up there, and he's done a great job. His next step in his evolution now is to maintain on the hard courts and then add a little bit more on the grass, which I think he can especially prosper in, and then also just, you know, on the clay, it's going to be more challenging, but you need that all-around game and the all-around uh, opportunities to gain points on all surfaces, I think, to, to really be a, a number one with longevity. Daniel Medvedev is the master in Toronto. I think Sasha's second half of the season was incredible. Once he got lift off in, in the Olympics and didn't let go from there, he just kept on uh, putting big tournaments in his pocket. It was really impressive. He's got all-court game. He's got all-surface game. He's got the, the mindset, I think, to just stay tough and just to roll with the punches. And he's going to be a real factor in the, in the number one conversation in the years to come. Alexander Zverev is the champion in Turin. They're the closest right now, clearly they're the closest. I think Rafa, if he's healthy, will certainly get himself back in contention for it. Oh, yes! A moment of magic from Nadal. I think wanting it too much definitely is a distraction. I think it distracts a player from what they need to focus on, which is what's in their control. And that's the next shot they're going to hit. If you start thinking about all these externals and the possibilities, the what ifs, uh, it clouds your judgment and it takes energy away from where your focus needs to be. But it's, it's almost impossible not to. Already made it. What a pressure point that was for Jim Courier. I was lucky because I got there when I was young, and I still had areas in my game that needed development, and I knew that. We had a plan with my coaches that we were going to continue to work no matter what. So for me, it, it, getting to number one didn't stop the overall big picture plan. It wasn't this long chase that, that had taken 10 years for me to finally track down somebody. It all happened in a hurry, and it, it was you know, fairly early in my career. So there, there are different positions when people attain the ranking, and therefore they'll have different perspectives. Mine was of a young player who still had a lot to achieve. While Novak Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev swapped places at the top, one man still very much in the mix to join them there is Rafael Nadal. The Spaniard was in action for the first time since winning the Australian Open and beat Medvedev en route to the title in Acapulco. After Australia have been some, of course, super happy moments and... Uh, uh, 
emotional moments to, to be back home uh, and share it with the, with the people that I love. But, uh, but then, of course, uh, the body goes down a little bit. No? Uh, but, but honestly, it was not that bad. No? So I, I was able to, to start practicing uh, relatively uh, early uh, again. So uh, I, I feel that I, I want to keep going, no? and, uh, but I'm excited to, to keep, just keep playing tennis. How have you best reflected on the fact that you do have that 21st Grand Slam title? What has been the most important thing about that for you over the last few weeks? For me, it's all about uh, all the things that, uh, me personally, of course, but my, my people uh, and team and family next to me did to, to help me to, to be back on the court and to, to give myself a chance to compete again at, uh, at a very high level. No, that's, for me, internally, uh, it's much more about uh, this than, than the records on this stuff, no? because at the end, uh, the personal satisfaction uh, is much higher and much more important than, than any record. Back to Dubai, and while he lost to Yannick Sinner in the second round this year, Andy Murray has many memories from this historic event. Some good, some not so good. Even when he won the event back in 2017. Tough week for me, actually, in the end. Like, obviously, winning the tournament and stuff was great. Um, but I uh, actually I had, like, a weird, like, allergic reaction after the match and uh, I had to fly to Indian Wells the next day and, like, my hands and feet, like, got really swollen. I woke up like with a terrible rash and stuff after the, the final. So yeah, strange, because uh, I felt totally fine uh, during the match and during the final and, you know, had a, had a great win, but yeah, had a, had a weird reaction afterwards. Don't know what happened. Bittersweet memories. Yeah. Weird quarterfinal as well. We were looking at some of your points that you played that week. I don't know whether you remember the match, but I'm sure you do against Kohlschreiber. Seven match points, I think you saved, and one of the most outrageous drop shots on one of those match points. Does that stick in the memory? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I remember that point. I don't remember all the all of the the match points, but that one in particular, I saw a few times, and I, you know, played a really good point up until the last shot, and you know, I was looking to try and finish the point with my forehand, and he hit an unbelievable like short slice cross court, and I wasn't really in a great position, and I just yeah managed to come up with this sort of inside out forehand drop shot um, to save the match point, and yeah managed to, to turn it around and ended up winning the tournament. I appreciate you might get asked this a lot to this stage of your career, but do you do you ever allow yourself to become nostalgic when you come back to these sorts of venues? And I wonder whether that kicks in even when you land at the airport or check into the hotel or whether it's the first hit on centre court. Does your mind wander back to those those big moments? Uh, yeah, yeah. At times it does. Um, I wouldn't say yeah every single week um, because some of the events I've been at, you know, a bit over the last few years. But certainly, like here, you know, like you said, I've not been here since 2017. Um, you know, it's, it's been a while. So yeah, when I come back after being away for for a long time from specific events, yeah, I feel that way. We'll switch tack and concentrate on yourself a little bit more. Obviously, there's been a fair amount of interest in who's been travelling with you the last the last few weeks at some of the events. Can you just confirm who's with you this week and whether that might change for Indian Wells and Miami if, if indeed you make that trip? Yeah. So obviously, um, you know, I've not had a, a long-term coaching setup since like the Paris Masters last year. I've you know trialled a few coaches um, and then last week. Um, 
the coach who was coming with me, Colin Fleming, um, he tested positive on arrival, so you know, have a coach with me at the tournament last week, and um, this week I've got um, Danny Valverdu, um, who's been helping me out for a few weeks. Um, he's still working with Stan Wawrinka, but Stan's you know been injured and has only just started practicing again. So it's been great that Danny's been able to come and help me. But yes, he he won't be there for Indian Wells in Miami, and yeah, I'm still looking for a, a more permanent solution. Murray's long-term friend. Coach and mentor Jamie Delgado is now in the camp of Denis Shapovalov and that relationship seems to have got off to a flying start with victory at the ATP Cup followed by a quarter-final for the Canadian at the Australian Open and a semi-final in Dubai. For sure part of it is definitely definitely uh, got to do with Jamie. Um, I think he's, he's doing a great job of just connecting the whole team together. Everyone's really on the same page. I think that's so important for, for a team to, to just, you know, know everyone knows what's going on. Everyone's kind of working together. And, uh, yeah, he's done a great job so far. And the couple of things that we've been able to, to work on the last couple of months have definitely definitely improved my game. And, and it's been a huge, uh, huge uh, impact on it. And it must be a massive help when you get a nice fast start with a new relationship. You know, everybody, I guess, starts to trust each other and the confidence starts to build. Yeah, of course. It's definitely always uh, more ideal when, when you know you start a relationship and things click right off the bat. It's not always the case, but uh, it was definitely so with Jamie. And yeah, for sure, it just it just helps the team kind of kind of improve the relationship early on, and uh, and yeah, really uh, really helps everyone work together. You just mentioned a couple of things that you've been focusing on. I know you guys don't like to give away too much, but can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we implemented some more serve and volleying. He's definitely trying to, to help my game, uh, net game quite a lot. Um, for sure, just getting more solid overall. And just his experience, you know, being with Andy all these years, knowing, Jesus, so many flies here, knowing exactly uh, what to do, when to do it, and, and, you know, what things to say before matches and before tournaments. He's done a really good job of that. We were filming you practicing a couple of hours ago. What struck me is the rapport that you guys have. You, you seem to have a lot of fun around each other I guess that's an important element too for sure for sure I mean uh, it's definitely important to, to enjoy the work you're putting into it because there's a lot of a lot of time spent on the court so if you're if you're not having fun you know it definitely becomes long and draining so it's important to to enjoy but I feel like uh, we talk through things really well and we agree on on a lot of things and and if we see things somewhat differently we, we just talk through them and, and come to an agreement so I think that's super important to, to you know to really talk with with him through through all the things and in general with the whole team in terms of fitness in terms of how I'm feeling and, and you know all aspects of, of the game and, and physicality I think it's super important. I can't let you go without asking you about Felix because I know he's, he's been a, a lifelong friend of yours and I just wondered from a from a, a friend's perspective and a, and a tennis player's perspective, what you've noticed that's maybe been a little bit different about him in the last few months that's enabled him to get over the line in Rotterdam? Yeah, I think he's just uh, just everything's just starting to click for him. Obviously, uh, he's always had the game and the potential, and uh, it was going to be sooner or later that things were going to click for him, and he's going to get his first title and. Uh, and just yeah, push over the line, and, and obviously he's continuing to do well in Marseille, you know. So it's definitely definitely great to see. He's always had the game, and and you know he's he's such a tough player and, and opponent to play against. So uh, for sure, it's just kind of kind of clicking, and he's he's feeling that confidence in himself now. We end this week by hopping back across the Atlantic Ocean to a man who is in red hot form at the moment in doubles. A quarter-final appearance on home soil this week for Mexican Santiago Gonzalez, 
followed recent tournament victories in Buenos Aires and Cordoba. It's obviously very fun for me right now, uh, winning uh, two tournaments in a row back to back. Not only that, since uh, I'm playing with Andres Molteni, since the US Open, we already won uh, four ATP titles together, so we are very happy with the partnership, so we are hoping to, to be going. <laughs> with the doubles, as you get older, does it get easier to win the titles or do, with the experience, or does it get tougher because, you know, the, the, the wear and tear of the tour? I think it gets tougher because at the end, uh, the end of the day, uh, younger players start coming up and playing better doubles, and the the, the doubles uh, change so fast. Now it's a lot of big serve, a lot of big returns, so you need to adjust to that. I'm 38, almost 39. Uh, I know I'm not a young guy anymore, so uh, I was thinking the last two years on maybe when I was 40 to retire, but uh, now I don't know. <laughs> so hopefully I can. I love to play the game, so I love to travel, I love, I love to be in the tournaments, competing against the best. So hopefully I can do this uh, for, for, my, for many more years. As a guy who plays doubles all the time, um, I, I'm interested to know, how much does it change when you play against two singles players who choose to play doubles maybe in a, in a one-off tournament, a little bit like Alcaraz playing maybe with Pablo Carreño Busto or something like that. Does it change the way the doubles is played? Yeah, a little bit, because at the end of the day, you, you know, they are very good uh, uh, players overall. They know, we know that they're going to return well and they're going to hit the ball very hard. So we need to adjust our game, our strategy in the game to maybe, maybe they don't feel as much as comfortable at the net that, that they are on the back so we try to play the guy who is in the net more so they can they can volley and then we can, we, we are more used to that game or and attacking more more than usual they don't serve and volley many often so so yeah we need to adjust the game but at the end of the day it's, uh, it's, it's good when the singles guys with like Alcaraz and they try to, to go on court and, and win the tournaments it's, it's very fun 18 doubles titles now you have, which is a wonderful number. Is there one that stands out or maybe a couple that um, are the most cherished for you? Can you think of any? I mean, I, mean, I guess every, every, every tournament that you win, uh, the first and the last is always special. Uh, one of the one I remember the most is uh, maybe Barcelona, the ATP 500 that, that I won in 2011, I think. So, yeah, I'm... I'm very happy with the 18 title. Hopefully, I can I can go for more. And also, I'm very close also with the Grand Slam finals in Roland Garros in 2017. So hopefully, uh, uh, at the end of my career, I can maybe win a, a Grand Slam title. Uh, is it still, you know, something that you you're really gunning for, having made a final and come so close? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's a dream of I guess of every player to win a Grand Slam. I'm, I'm sure in 2017 in Roland Garros, and I also have a 3D finals in mix, so uh, maybe the fifth final in the Grand Slam is my, my lucky charm. So at the end of the day, it's my, in my goal. Also, another goal is uh, try to be in the, in the Masters at the end of the year, so uh, uh, that's the only tournament that I didn't play so far, so hopefully I can do that also. Give us an insight into the life of a doubles player. Obviously, there's a lot of traveling, like, like the singles. What's the best thing about the doubles tour? I mean, the best thing is that you always have a, a 
partners uh, next to next to you to, that you can chat, you can go for dinner, you can do, do not only tennis, uh, and you can travel together. Or, 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 or it's not uh, the same. Also, time of encore like uh, the singles guys. Uh, we are more like uh, try to focus on, on our thing, our serve, our our volleys. So at the end of the day, I think we, we enjoy a little more. Than, than the singles guys, they are like more obviously more focused, uh, more, obviously more money involved in singles than in doubles. So the, uh, yeah, uh, for me, having the chance to to have my family around in, in, in a few tournaments is also very nice. Uh, I have two kids, one is eight and one, and uh, my daughter is six, so that they can watch me play and it's and it's very nice. Well, that's an interesting thing in itself. How often do you get to bring them out on tour? Yeah, I'm from Mexico, so when I play in the U.S., I'm try I try to to bring the family there because it's quite close from Mexico, and also once a year I do a, like a long trip, maybe to Europe, or to Australia, to one of these tournaments, to French Open or Wimbledon or Australian Open, so they know, so they can know all the tournaments and the, the cities. Uh, my my little boy, they they love uh, uh, all the cities, the, the the buildings and all that, so. So he loved Paris. He, uh, so, so I when in 2017 I was m with my family there. So it was very fun to to have them with with me to to do the the tours around the city, and and I hope I can do uh, more often with them. Take me right back to the beginning in Mexico. It's not an obvious tennising nation. How how did you start to play tennis? Yeah, I guess uh, back in the days they, they were a more tennis nation than, than these days because we used to have Raúl Ramírez that he was number two in the world and then uh, a couple of guys like Lozano, Lavalle and uh, a couple of guys top 50 in the world. After that, and then it's already like 20 years without having a singles guy in the top 100. So, so obviously it's a little forgotten in that way in Mexico. So yeah, I mean, I started uh, playing tennis when I was I was five years old. My mom used to play in, in my my club. My my brother and sister also they they did play in juniors in Mexico. So I started playing alongside. I was playing soccer at the same time. So when I was 11, 12, so I need to choose a little bit in which one I I wanted to keep training. So I chose tennis. And then when I was 15 years old, so I I. I went to an academy in, in another city in Mexico, so I was there for four years and uh, to start traveling to the juniors, ITF and all that. Uh, when I become a, when I was 17, I, I, I was my first time in a Davis Cup in Mexico against Argentina in Argentina, so I'm playing Davis Cup for almost more than 20 years already. So after that, uh, I do it. Uh, I live in uh, Buenos Aires uh, one year and one year in Barcelona, so tr to try to. I guess I put my, my tennis in, in the highest level possible. So after that, I come back to Mexico and then uh, I, I stopped playing singles when I was uh, 27 in, back in Acapulco. It's my home tournament, so obviously I wanted to be there. My last, my, my, my last singles tournament, it was against David Ferrer. He was uh, not so close. He was like 6-2, 6-2, but I enjoyed every moment of the, of the match. And then after that, I, I start focusing on the on the doubles because I think uh, always since juniors I, I I had a good career in juniors. I was number one in the world in juniors in doubles, so 
I, I guess it was a good choice. It's already more than 10 years and I'm playing doubles and, 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 I, and I'm still here, so I, I'm enjoying every time I'm playing against the best. I want to ask you about Acapulco and, and I want to ask you about that match with David Ferrer. But first of all, going back, you left home basically at 15 yeah. for your tennis. What yeah. was that like? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to become a professional tennis player. My dream was always to play Wimbledon and maybe try to win Wimbledon. So that was my first dream with tennis. So when I, when I left home to this academy, that was my dream to try to play uh, Wimbledon. I played Wimbledon in juniors and then I play, I qualified in singles in, in Wimbledon. So I played Wimbledon. So my, kind of my dream came true and then I played so many times Wimbledon in, in, in the doubles, but uh, yeah, hopefully one time. Uh, I never play in the, in, the, in, the, in the center court in Wimbledon. It's the only, the only, the only one from the four grand land that I didn't play in the center court, so hopefully um, I, can, I can do that in, in the next few years. Well, you keep going how you're going right now, and you'll be on center court <laughs> in, in, uh, in July this year. Yeah. What kind of support did you get? As a 15-year-old, I mean, yeah. you know, you've left home. Presumably, you're not with your parents anymore, your family. You've, you know, how was that as a young guy? Yeah, I mean, obviously, my mom and dad and my family was. Uh, they they support me every time. Uh, they come visiting every two three months to to Cuernavaca, that's the, the city where, where where I moved to for the academy. So yeah, I mean. You want to also have your your time away from home and away a little bit of of the easy the easy part of the the life that you have everything and then you have to start working for your dreams and for your for your career. Does it make you grow up quicker? I guess so. Yeah, because when you are 15 years old, you you are a little kid. You you're only dreaming. And then when I was start playing tennis and I was 17, 18. I was start playing money tournaments in Mexico. I was winning my first uh, dollars, in so it was like kind of, kind of uh, start working uh, in the early stage of, the, of your life. You mentioned Acapulco before, and I know how special it is for you. It's obviously your home tournament. Talk to me about Acapulco. What, what's it like? I've not been to Acapulco, so uh, as sure. a as a tennis fan, <laughs> what 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 would you expect? I mean, Acapulco is growing so uh, like. The tournament start like this is the 29, I think, uh, uh, tournament year in a row that they're they having the tournament. And Acapulco, they have everything. The hotel is very nice next to the beach. The courts are next to the beach also. Like the the fans are like since Monday is completely full. The atmosphere is great. Uh, all the fans they know every player. They know who is Alcaraz, they know who is Gonzalez, they know who is Lopez, whatever. So they know everyone. It's not like a, sometimes you go to the tournament and, and they only know Nadal. But in Mexico, they know everyone. They, li they like tennis, they, they watch tennis on TV. So, the, so they have this opportunity in Acapulco with the best uh, players in the world to, for a week. So they enjoy it since day one. And every, every day they pass. It's, it's, the atmosphere is great, and then you have also, also the parties that they, they, they get along to with the tournament and with the fans. So it's a it's a good uh, atmosphere the whole week. Talk to me about that tournament where you played your last singles tournament, and it, you'd obviously thought about it for a, for a long time. You decided that it was going to be in Acapulco. How difficult is that, first of all, to make that decision? 
Yeah, obviously your dream is always to be a great singles player, uh, like a, a top 100 guy to, to win titles. But uh, I was short. I was like 150 in the world, so so I couldn't I couldn't make it in that way. And I was starting playing all, all the doubles already. I was like by the time I was 50 or 60 in, in doubles, and I was like two three hundred in singles. So so I decided to to choose a career between singles and doubles. And um, by by that time, my my singles career it was not not going great. So I decided to to Acapulco to be my last tournament in singles. Then the, the draw came out and I played David Ferrer, so I was like, okay, so this is gonna be my last my last match, I guess, because he was in clay, David Ferrer was number two or three in the world by that time, so I know it was gonna be a tough match. I know David since the juniors, we played in juniors. I beat him one time in juniors, he still remember that. Then I played I, I, I play him and on that year when I retired, and the year before, we, I lost to him in second round in, in Acapulco. So I played two years in a row in Acapulco against him, and it was the same result. So, <laughs> so but yeah, at the end of the day, uh, having my last singles match in Acapulco, it was great. My family was there, a lot of people were there watching, and uh, maybe when I retire in doubles, my last doubles is going to be in Acapulco also. The fact that you knew David... Did it make it easier or did it make it harder? I was talking with Federico Dalbones about playing against Juan Martin Del Potro yeah. in Buenos Aires, and he said it was almost like two tournaments for him. You know, it, it's it, it, the fact that you knew David and you knew him from juniors. Did it almost make it easier? Yeah, I mean, it's it's never easy, obviously, but because when you decide to to quit uh, one thing, the, it was kind of uh, different because you knew, I knew that I was still playing tennis. I was still competing in doubles. So it was not completed like, like a retirement. So I knew it was going to be my last single. And since then, I didn't play many singles. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it, it's good that I... It, it was, again, a good friend, like David Ferrer, a great player, the number one in the, in the tournament. Um, and people watching, my family was there, but... Uh, at the end of the day, you want to try to maybe win the tournament or at least dream to win the tournament. And, and if you play against David Ferrer on, on the first round, it, the chances are like you're, that, not, you, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and in terms of tennis in Mexico, is Acapulco the best chance tennis has in Mexico to, to get back to where you were saying it was with the you know, players in the top 50 and the top 100, do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously right now in singles, it's a long way because our first uh, Mexican ranked is like five, six hundred in the world. So it's a good chance for them if they win a they win a match. It's a lot of points, so they can move ranking. Uh, and obviously, we have Acapulco. We have also the Abierto Los Cabos uh, back in July. So we have two big tournaments in Mexico that, that the Mexicans they need to play and, and try to compete with the best and try to have good results for the. For, for the ranking and it's a, it's a great step to have in, in Mexico. And besides that, we have a few challengers in Mexico and a few tools that we have a little bit of everything. So we need more players that they, they really wanna uh, be professionals and um, be in the top 100. Last question. If I can give you one tournament this year and say that'll be the one you win from now on, which one would it be? Are we taking Grand Slam also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, a Grand Slam. Uh, I'm taking Wimbledon. But if we are not taking a grass line, 
I always wanted to win in Acapulco. I was like uh, once in a final in 2015, so hopefully I can win at home. It wasn't to be this time, but I'm sure Santiago Gonzalez will be back in Acapulco. That is it for this week. Thanks to all of our guests. I'm Seb Lozier. Join us again next week for more exclusive interviews and features as we count down to the first Masters 1000 of the year in Indian Wells. And if you can't wait that long, check out the podcast channel every Wednesday too for in-depth exclusives with a player or a coach. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest on atptour.com or with the ATP app. And there's also Tennis TV where you can watch every single ball being hit. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.